We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 75. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, joined as per usual by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. Fellas, how are we doing on this uh, Sunday evening? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, excited. It's been a little bit since we last podcasted. I, I've, if I recall correctly, our last podcast was de- detonated 48 hours, if that. It might have been 24 hours later. It became totally irrelevant when the Bogdan Bogdanovich trade uh, fell apart. But I'm excited. I think this is appropriate. We're back together um, to talk about some big news, most importantly, the uniform. So I'm looking forward to uniform talk uh how about you, Kyle? You know, it was – I'm kind of worried if we do this pod, there's going to be another breaking news session, and we're going to have to do another emergency pod and make this completely irrelevant. I think that's going to be our brand for the 2020-2021 season. Every pod we do is irrelevant within 24 hours. How about you, Adam? How are you doing tonight? Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm doing really well. You know, fresh off a, a solid Packers W – uh, over the the Philadelphia Eagles, which made it even even sweeter. Um, they're already they're already in such a disarray out here. They've given up on the team long ago. So anyway, I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about the Bucks roster moves that were made after we recorded last time and thought we had Bogdanovich. So I just want to say real quickly, I want to give each of you a chance. If there's anything you want to get off your chest, I'll, I feel free to about the Bogdanovich situation since we didn't record after it. I, I can give you each one opportunity before we move on and then we don't talk about it again. So, Kyle, if you want to go first, if you have something you want to say, feel free. This is your platform. For someone that claims to be the best reporter in the NBA, the fact that he got played like a fiddle and tweeted out misinformation shows that he has been surpassed by his protege in Shams. Woj is a bum. Woj is just a basketball version of Nate Silver. And Woj is just an old man version of Air Abraham. And that's all I got to say. Uh, I, you know, I also have issues with Woj and uh, his reporting, the way it went down. Uh, Definitely looks like we got played uh, for fools by Bogdan's agent, which is kind of a downer. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's difficult because I got so like hyped after the fact. It was like, okay, we're going to have like three dudes on the rest of the roster, but that top five is going to be killer. And I was really excited about that top five. I was like, it doesn't matter. We'll just we'll load manage. We're going to sneak in eighth seed with <laughs> the minutes allocation that Budenholzer does and figure it out in the playoffs. So it was kind of a downer just because you thought the potential ceiling for the team was really high. Um, I think in the aftermath, once everything kind of settled and then we saw all the free agent signings after that, I feel a bit better. Um, and I think at the end of the day, if it was a situation where, uh, Bogdanovich, I, I can't fault him too much for choosing an extra however many millions of dollars. He's 28. This is his only big contract, but, 
Um, if it was going to be a situation where we were going to get played for a lot more money, then it probably was the best that, um, you know, not, not that I begrudge the grind necessarily, but if that was the main motivating factor, probably for the best for him to not be around, especially if he was like worried about being the fourth fiddle on a championship squad or whatever. So, uh, you know, not the end of the world, I guess. Yeah. It seemed like he, he can go and be a second option in Atlanta now, I guess, to Trey Young. I mean, like it's, of course, it's got to be super fun to play on a team with Trey Young. He seems like a super willing passer, um, loves to pass the ball, doesn't love to give it to anyone else. He gets to uh, usurp Kevin Herter and all those other folks down there. So best of luck to Bogdanovich. Thank you both. That's off our chest. So let's move on and talk about the moves that the Bucks actually made this offseason. I'm going to run through essentially who's on the roster now, and then we'll sort of work our way through it. So as we all know, they, of course, traded for Drew Holiday. We covered that in the last podcast, obviously. The other notable moves, I would say, are DJ Augustine, a three-year, $21 million deal, final year, non-guaranteed, essentially what the Bucks gave us on a couple years ago. Bobby Portis, a two-year, $7.4 million deal. That's the biannual exception. He has a player option on that second year. Pat Connaughton, we'll touch on that later, wound up being a three-year, $16 million deal with a player option in the third year. Um, and then Bryn Forbes, a two-year, $4.8 million deal, player option in the second year, also part of the mid-level exception. Torrey Craig signed to a minimum deal, as well as Jordan Nuara and Sam Merrill, of course, our second-round draft picks who are on the who will be on the squad. And then two ways, Jalen Adams and Mamadi Diakite. I haven't looked how to pronounce his name, so apologies if that was incorrect. But um, those guys may actually play a role, especially given the COVID, if anything happens in terms of COVID. Um, they're able to play up to, I think it's 50 games this year or be active for 50 games. So that's good. So those, those two players might end up playing more of a role, but in terms of the key moves that they did, was there anyone Riley who stood out to you initially as maybe a better move over the others before we start to talk about it in sort of totality? I don't know. When you look at the whole picture, um, you could say like DJ Augustine, just because he's like the most traditional point guard we'll have had on the roster in a long time. But even then, I mean, I'm going to be a total cop out and still say Drew Holiday is probably the biggest one. Like he was the biggest splash we gave with most, you know, in terms of assets. And we're going to see how Boonholzer wants to play him, how he wants to play, whether or not he wants to be a lead guard. I see a lot of places like, oh, actually, Drew doesn't like handling the ball. I'm like, well, what basketball player doesn't like handling the ball? So I don't really get that. But um, I think when you just look at and we're going to talk a little bit about this team versus last season team. The biggest difference is the Eric to Drew upgrade. And at the end of the day, everybody else isn't super superfluous per, per se. But when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to the most meaningful minutes, Drew Holiday, out of all the guys that we brought in or traded for or whatever, he's going to be the most meaningful impact guy. Um, and so at the end of the day, he's going to be the top you know, favorites, um, you know, the biggest thumbs up move just because we needed the help at point guard. Yeah, I would say the non-Drew Holiday one would be Torrey Craig. It feels as though everyone at NBA Twitter was saying Torrey Craig was really good. This is a, a great pickup by Milwaukee. The fact that he was not even brought back to Denver was kind of surprising. It seemed like when the Bucks got him, especially on a minimum deal, that seemed like the home run move. That seemed like it was the best move that Milwaukee made in terms of the low-risk, high-reward side of it. And I mean, I am not watching Denver Nuggets games. I don't fully know anything. Like, I don't know enough about Torrey Craig to say, yes, this was absolutely a great deal. But just based off of how everyone else was reacting, it seemed like that seemed to 
And especially that was right before, I don't know if it was before the DJ Augusty, but it was kind of right after the Pat Connaughton deal was announced. It was like, what are the Bucks doing? Then the Bucks make this move. And it's like, okay, this is encouraging. This is a good sign. And he seems like he's going to be that lockdown defender that Milwaukee is going to need has more of an edge to him in terms of how he wants Milwaukee to play. I think that's going to be key when you're dealing with annoying pests like Marcus Smart or if you want to have him on Jimmy Butler or if you want to put him on whoever's on the Nets or Philly. You, you can put him on some of these other guys and slow him down, and it kind of takes the burden off of Giannis and Brooke in terms of help defense. It doesn't require Chris to guard the best guy. It can kind of pretty much what Wes Matthews was hopefully able to do if given the chance. Um, so I think with I think Tory Craig was kind of the big one just because it seems like in terms of low risk high reward this was one of the best deals not only the Bucks made but overall in the NBA. Yeah, Craig is a really fascinating guy. I was just pulling up his numbers here. So even last year the long the big run that the Nuggets play had in the playoffs, uh, he still appeared in 19 games, 19.7 minutes played per game. So that's really solid numbers for him, and that was despite him shooting 26 percent from three. During those games, which is obviously not what you want, but the sheer fact that someone could be shooting that atrociously and still uh, clearly be getting minutes for a team that made it all the way to the conference finals. I mean, to be fair, the Bucks are no stranger to that. We sort of know what that's like to have someone like that who can't shoot but continues to play uh, on the court. But he seemed like a really solid signing. It's an interesting mix of players. When I was look, I think let's we can talk a little bit about the in some total, but I think we do, we should focus in on Pat Connaughton because that was quite clearly the biggest bungling, I would say out of probably, I guess less so than the Bogdanovich thing, but in terms of what the Bucks could control, the Pat Connaughton seemed like the biggest bungling. So initially there was reporting that was going to be a two year, two year deal, second year on the player option, but you cannot offer uh, any sort of option to someone who you're re-signing with early bird rights so then it turned, seemed like after that reporting came out, they had to walk it back, give him a third year, essentially, and a player option, sign him for, I think it wound up being a little more money then, um, turns into a three-year, $60 million deal. Now, there's ways to spin that and say, okay, well, he's, you know, you have him for a couple more years. Potentially, he's someone who you could aggregate in terms of a trade. He's an asset you could send out. But I don't know, Kyle, overall, that one just seemed like an insane amount of egg on the face of the Bucks front's office, which already had plenty of egg on it. Well, it was just weird because we went to bed. I don't I think it was Friday night and you're seeing all these teams make all these bad deals and you're thinking, OK, well, Milwaukee hasn't made a stupid move. And then they bring back Pat Connaughton. And while that's not a great move and it was I wouldn't call it a stupid move, but it wasn't a good move. It was. Two years, okay, fine, not great, but we understand. Maybe you want to bring him back so that Giannis stays. Maybe bring him back because, I mean, Budenholzer likes him. He did all right on a vetman. Okay, fine, bring him back. And then there's reporting like, well, you actually can't do that unless you use, you know, the MLE. And it seems like all of a sudden a horse is bungling the cap. And the fact that there are people on Twitter that are able to break it down, why this doesn't make sense, kind of gave me a pause where it's like, I don't know the cap, but if other people on this app are able to break it down and explain why it doesn't work, that's kind of concerning because I can I cannot understand it, and that's fine. That's not my job. My job is not to is not to figure it out. My job is not to give out these contracts. So I don't need to focus on that. And then it turns into a three year deal, and you're thinking, okay, well, fine, three years, okay, but then it's a player option, and which you're like, ugh. It just was more of a, ugh, okay, fine, 
okay, fine, okay, fine. You, There's not really much Milwaukee could have done. Yes, you can possibly trade it. Yes, it could maybe work out. But, I mean, for what we saw from Pat Connaughton the last few years in terms of the playoffs, it's not someone that you can necessarily rely on. So it seems odd that you're bringing him back at this type of salary for a guy who, yes, he is going to help out in the regular season. Yes, he's someone that we know what their strengths are. We know Budenholzer likes them, but in terms of you already had limited cap space and few roster spots that you can make, putting this type of contract on that type of player does raise a couple eyebrows, and I can understand why it seems like the Bucks. And I think right when I saw all that happen, I was like, the Bucks are a one step back, like two steps back, one step forward. And this deal is a perfect encapsulation of that. I think the Bucks were not helped by the fact that we all were stewing on the fact that the Bogdanovich trade blew up. And then the very next transaction that we did was the Pat Connaughton deal. It's like, okay, this is a great plan B that we're, that we're working with here. Um, to be honest, I'm floored that he's still a buck. I can't believe this is happening. I can't. When I saw his name come across, I was like, Pat Connaughton signed with what other idiot team? Not that Pat's a bad player, but this is kind of like the Brook Lopez thing. Like we got Pat at first as a guy off the scrap heap um, who like wanted an opportunity. He got a lot of minutes. He was on a minimum, like really great value for a minimum guy and then what we should do ideally is move him on he can go get a payday somewhere else unless he's like a brooke lopez type guy who's so critical into what we do that we want to pay to keep him i don't think pat connerson's that now he might be Giannis's friend um like kyle said uh Budenholzer really likes the way he plays he's not a bad player per se he's good depth in the guard rotation which i mean there are questions given the fact that we had to move off of eric we had to move off of hill sterling's no longer around like the the way things have moved around he might be like a helpful depth piece and kind of a piece of stability as everybody else gets caught up because we already have a really short off season but at the end of the day when it comes to like you guys are saying asset management this doesn't seem like the way you should do it you got the guy essentially for free you got two solid years for a guy who you got for free and essentially paid no money to let him move along go find something else you can try and they've shown they i mean even in this free agency and guys have gotten on two ways like they can get decent guys for really cheap and just make it work from there and if you're going to spend this kind of money like kyle said on your you know third ideally like third backup shooting guard or whatever or like a guy who you know, if he wasn't a coach's favorite, probably wouldn't get all that many minutes. That's problematic to me. And so I think, again, in the totality of with all the other moves, I'm not super duper upset, but it does, again, bring back another piece that we all acknowledge is probably not good enough in the playoffs, but Budenholzer, because he is who he is and who he likes to play, might rely on him too much. That's, you know, not commiserate with what he's actually able to do. This offseason was interesting to me. Uh, I'm curious if you guys think that the team improved at all. I feel like there was a lot of, it feels a little, you know, there's some interesting ways to go one-to-one in terms of players. So it's kind of like, okay, Torrey Craig, maybe he's like Wes Matthews or something. DJ Augustine is kind of like George Hill. Um, Bryn Forbes is, I guess, kind of Kyle Korver. Um Bobby Portis is the one player who's kind of like a little different than Robert Lopez. Like he's not really him. They've already mentioned that already. Um, but when I was looking at the team, I had a hard time figuring out if they're necessarily 
better move beyond the Drew Holiday trade. I think that one categorically make does make them better. But the rest of the way down, I'm not sure if they're better. The one thing I could say is that they are younger. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do know that the Bucks were relying on two key pieces in the playoffs, one of whom retired like an hour after the buzzer sounded and the other who is not on a roster now. So I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is a different direction than what they did last year, which was a lot of like 30 somethings, a lot of older players. And they did go a little younger this year. I'm not sure if that was interesting to you guys or if you think that even matters this next year. I, I think the starting five got worse but the bench got better, if that makes sense. Because you lose Wes Matthews, and I, I think we all agree, Wes Matthews at the deal he was on and the deal that he signed with the Lakers would love to have had him back, and that would have made the start, have the same starting five, just swap out Drew for Bledsoe, and it automatically is significantly better. I think getting Drew Holiday is a huge upgrade. I think lose, I don't know about George Hill versus DJ Augustine, but you kind of look kind of like what you're saying, Adam. You replace Marvin Williams, you replace uh, Robin Lopez, you replace Ursan, you replace Kyle Corver with Bryn Forbes, DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis. Now you got these two guys, Sam Merrill and Jordan Nora, and then you have Tory Craig as well. And it seems like at the very least, the bench is better because now it might not be as talented, but it's at least going to be more athletic and something that you can, it allows you more variety in the lives. I think the problem with the bench last year was you had a bunch of guys who, other than Dante and George Hill, like you had a bunch of guys on the bench that either needed to shoot or drive to the rim, and they weren't really good at that. Or in Kyle Corver's case, he's not good at defending, and as a traffic cone, yet he can shut down Avery Bradley, and that's it. So you kind of look at the bench and it's now, and you have Torrey Craig, who's more of a defensive, defensive specialist. You have DJ Augustine, who in crunch time lineups, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the point guard and then Drew Holiday moves to the two position. You have, you know, Jordan Nora and Sam Merrill, who can kind of replicate what Sterling and Kyle Corver did in terms of offensive productivity and the style of play that they have. Bryn Forbes is interesting because I think he's, I don't know, like how, I mean, he's not the greatest defender apparently, but he can shoot. I don't know if that's what we're hoping is kind of more of an upgrade on Pat Connaughton. If he's an upgrade on Kyle, like, I just don't know. Brent Forbes seems to be more that wild card because he could be someone that comes off the bench, hits those three or four threes in a hot streak, but we don't play him significant minutes because defensively he's too much of a liability. So I think it's just, I think the bench got better, but the starting five got worse. And that's only because you're taking Dante, who is a good player, but where are we sure he's t- starting to, on a championship caliber team, good. And I see you two just give me that look, and it's like, look, I want to be proven wrong, but what made Dante so good is because we had lower expectations for him, and now he's going to have to be this guy that can play with the starters. Will he be able to do it? I'm just so happy that all the work that Adam put into the Dante's Inferno bumper <laughs> is not going to waste. We're bringing it back for another season at a minimum. I'm just so happy about that. We didn't get to mention that with the Bogdanovich trade. Adam, how do you feel about Dante being back? Do you think year three Dante is enough? to? Is he the upgrade that makes us a better team? Uh, did you see him at media day? He said he's focused. He's ready. He's, been <laughs> he's on a revenge tour. <laughs> <laughs> he's on a revenge tour, yeah. He tweeted, I love Milwaukee Bucks fans. I mean, he's a fascinating player because, it, I mean, when you look at, obviously Drew is the swing player in terms of the, the talent upgrade. 
but you go one, you go like you go a large rung below him, like it's a poorly made ladder, and it's like a huge gap. And then Dante's right there as the next swing player because essentially he's the one who's going to have to take the largest step up this season. And I think Bud trusts him more than I would say. I, I think from the outside he'll trust him more than any player who uh, John Horst just brought in. Besides maybe DJ Augustine, I don't know. But I think I think the the defensive potential of the starting five should be able to replicate what they had last year. Um, I do wonder how Bud will handle his minutes, and I, I can't tell if he's going to be hurt uh, or. Uh, helped by the fact that he's in the starting lineup because he, I think personally, he has a little more versatility than Wesley Matthews offensively. Can't really guard a, a wing like him, but I think he has a really good defensive instincts. So I don't know if like the, the, the sheer fact that he can cut and do all this other kind of stuff will help him. Or if the fact that, that, that he's in the starting lineup, he's kind of just going to be relegated to a spacer like Wesley Matthew was last year. And his, his, his talents might not be as, uh, I don't know, might not be as pronounced, but Anyway, I'm kind of glad he's sticking around. I would have preferred Bogdanovich, but whatever. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, shout out to Dante. Good to have you back. But just, just to the question of are we a better team, um, I would say by a hair. We probably have more like boom or bust potential. I doubt we'll be a bust necessarily, but we have probably a little bit more boom potential just because, you know, you look at the guys who went out. Who are guys who left who didn't play like any minutes whatsoever, like any meaningful minutes in playoffs, right? Robin, gone, okay. Uh, Sterling, no longer here, okay. Ursan didn't play much. Um, George Hill and Eric Bloods obviously played quite a bit. Wes, um, except for the Heat series where he got benched quite a bit. So you're looking at guys who, for one reason or another, like they just couldn't cut it or Bud didn't trust them or whatever. They didn't get any sort of minutes. And I find interesting in all the guys who came in, is this the first offseason where we haven't had a whole bunch of Bud guys come in? like looking through here i don't think he's coached any of these guys before the only one would be like bryn forbes just because they have the popovich connection so if there's like a oh you know really like this guy because pop went after him or whatever but we have a whole bunch of guys who in theory he should come in and there's not going to be like a playing favorites not that boonholzer did that but there's a trust factor that he might have um and so hopefully that opens up experimentation factors uh some different avenues i think um, it's interesting that we did end up drafting two guys. So we'll talk about John Horst, like draft strategy a little bit later. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's hard to really get a good gauge on the team and how high the ceiling is. I, I we're probably a hair better, just like you guys said, because of the drew upgrade. The only thing I want to say is we are in danger. I think as I've seen the discourse go around from like really it, not to say drew is not a good player. Cause I think he is a really good player on both ends of the floor. But again, if you look at the statistical output, his like, especially on offense, pretty similar output numbers and like where he's taking shots and everything like that, which isn't a bad thing because Eric did a really good job in that role. But there needs to be probably a slight dial back because we've moved from like, oh, we traded all these draft picks. Everybody was a little bit down on it. Then we got up because of the Bogdanovich trade, then went down again. And now I think everybody's kind of building up because we have to invest our hopes in this being the guy. And it might take him a while to get there, and he might not be able to live up to that hype. Um, and I, I don't think he's going to fall significantly short, but there might there is a chance that he's not the savior. And if that's the case, a lot of it continues to fall on Giannis, Chris, and Boonholzer. That's just those those are the three guys. Those that's who's got to do it, and hopefully Drew hopes out. That's essentially what it all boils down to at the end of the day. And I don't think Holiday necessarily needs to be the savior. I think he just needs to be competent. 
I, I think that is really what's going to take Milwaukee to that next step because the issue was Bledsoe would do a great job in the regular season, then it gets to the playoffs, and then he couldn't do anything. And if Holiday even is regular season okay and he's still okay going into the playoffs, that's probably going to be enough to not completely sabotage Milwaukee. So I don't think he necessarily needs to be a savior. I agree, but I think the expect while we have high expectations for him, I think the level of acceptance of what he does is going to be more tolerable for Bucks fans because they're going to look at it and say, well, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. And that's really what we needed more often than not. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that is what all Bucks fans are able to tell themselves right now as well. If, if Bledsoe had just played, you know, like normal regular season Bledsoe, we would have had a championship you know, that couple years ago against the Warriors or whatever, we would have beat the Raptors. So I think that's where all the hope lies in holiday. I'll be really interested to see. Um, I don't think they can, I don't know how, if they can extend him during the season or not. I don't think so. Would it, would it be similar to the situation? It, does the player option throw things off? Is uh, room full of cap does, idiots yeah. right now? Yeah, that's probably what's happening does. right now. We should, we should not talk about it and wait to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, I was going to say, let's <laughs> I don't know how that could work, but I'm also, yeah, not a cap expert. It, it seems from what he said that, I mean, a lot of it, again, falls back on the Giannis signing the extension, but it, it seems like he's open to working on an extension. So um, I can't imagine the Bucks went into this trading him without some idea of if they could hammer out something either this season or if he opts out of the player option next year and signs back. So an extension one way or the other, whether or not it kicks in right away or like extends out, I have no idea. Yeah, I want to go back to what you said, Riley, about potentially this being not Bud guys. I actually, I'm actually pretty interested in that because for years we had the sort of push and pull of of Kid versus Hammond, Kid Horst. Then we had you know Mike, you know Budenholzer versus Horst. Who is it going to be? Clearly Bud, like Dante or whatever. So is that why we got him? And then we got in all of Bud's old friends from Atlanta. They all came in. Um, but this literally, year, literally every free agency period, which yeah. is going to old Hawks teams on basketball reference, be like, who's still in the league? Who's in the league? And who's a free like agent? Ken still out there. You know, <laughs> exactly. that's fine. We we're Paul not Millsap. taking Al Hor- we're not taking Al Horford's contract, but mm-hmm. he was available. Yeah, and I don't want to say I daydreamed a little bit about Millsap being like, oh yeah, <laughs> bud, I can go chase. I can do a little David West chase a championship <laughs> over there. Uh, but but. But the reason I'm saying this, bringing this up, is because beyond Pat, who, whatever, Pat's Pat, all of these guys are clearly not Bud people. But they are also have, um, Frank Madden was talking about this, how they, on Twitter, how they maybe don't have as much two-way versatility as last year. Um, Some of the guys last year, I mean, you could see that in like a guy like DJ Augustine, who isn't as good defensively, but clearly can bring a lot more offensively to the table, I think, as an off-the-dribble shooter. Um, but I, I am wondering if some of the deficiencies or what these players bring to the table might mean, like you said, Riley, that Bud is willing to experiment more. Like when DJ Augustine is your lead defensive guard, are you going to rely on him to like rear view pursuit the way you would George Hill, Dante DiVincenzo and uh, Eric Bledsoe? When Bobby Portis is your center, you're not. I'm hoping maybe you won't be as inclined to just go zone drop. Like I know you were like Marvin. I know you're old, but I need and I need you to do that zone drop, buddy. I need you to do that right now. But but hopefully he might not. He might be like, okay, let's maybe let's twist it up a bit. If we have Giannis and Portis in the game at the same time, Bryn Forbes 
is I think I saw a stat that he like might be like the some defensive metrics had him as like the seventh worst defender in terms of net rating or whatever last year. And the I was reading Pound in the Rock before this, and they said basically he might not be able to make up for his defensive deficiencies, even though he's like a forty percent shooter. So whatever. The whole point is potentially these players maybe their deficiencies or a little bit of what they add this year is different enough. Uh, that Bud is willing to experiment more. And also because he doesn't have the continuity. I was listening to some of his media media day stuff from 2019, and it was all about continuity. That's what all last season was all about. And this season, he started off his media day by just saying, talking about versatility from the outset. Who knows if it's lip service or not, but I think at the very least, the way that Horse set up the roster, it's more primed for us to see potentially some experimentation in the regular season from Bud. And I think that's going to be a huge litmus test for Bucks fans maybe night in and night out. Yeah, looking at the roster, or just like looking at everybody that brought in, I mean, we might be not terrible on defense, but those bench units are going to be rough to watch. Like, there's going to be a lot. Um, and here's the other thing, too. So you said, like, the younger thing. Um, looking at, like, the starters, right? So the three starters who are back are Giannis, Chris, and Brooke. Each of those guys, I think, defensively are going to have to – I mean, Drew's going to help out, but assuming that Budenholzer does a lot of his staggering that he – usually does and assuming Chris also has to take on more wing assignments because we don't have Wes around anymore to help out with that um a lot of it's going to fall on those three guys stepping up on the defensive end and I I wonder you know can you really I don't know it'll be strange because we're going to have to have multiple different schemes probably within the game because like you said Adam the whole thing was continuity where you could say we'll do the zone drop and like whoever we put out there we're just going to keep with that because we have Brooks' literal flesh twin on the roster, so he can just do the same thing, sort of. And Giannis can help clean up on the back end or whatever, and that that's not going to be the case. So I don't know if they're going to, like, I doubt they're going to revamp the whole defense because it works so well and you have the key guys, and I'm sure Drew will be able to step in pretty well with Giannis and Brooke as the backup guys or, you know, in the front court. Um I don't know. It feels like he has no choice but to experiment. Otherwise, we're going to get totally blasted by teams like, you know, no, no disrespect to Bobby Portis. Like, I can't believe this guy's a buck right now. But like, it, I've heard that he's like the turnstileiest of turnstiles on defense, which is going to be awesome to watch. But if that's the case, I mean, that's going to be a new challenge to have to build around. Probably for the best, actually, that we're going to have to deal with these bad defenders to try and figure out something that isn't just what we always do. How do you how do you compensate for that? Because you can't just play five dudes. Like, I, that Boonholzer wouldn't do that anyhow, but there is a space between 13 guys getting played and five guys getting played, and he has to figure out what those, like, extra three or four guys, how do you fit them in? So hopefully that's what the regular season's for. I kind of feel like last year he tried going with a bench that defensively can do the job. You know, you look at someone like Dante, you look at Robin Lopez, who can come in and do the same thing that Brooke could. You look at Marvin Williams, who was kind of there to try – and do more than what Ursine could. And Pat Connaughton, he'll just fly by every shot fake known to man. And I think maybe Bud was trying to have a decent bench defensively, but then the offense suffers. And I feel like this year is going to be the opposite, where offensively this bench might do the job it needs to, but it also might allow a bunch of points and let the starting five plus Tory Craig kind of come in and do the work defensively. And I think, and I think that's pretty fair because you have Giannis, who was Defensive Player of the Year. You have Brooke Lopez, who I thought could have easily been a Defensive Player of the Year. You have Drew Holiday, who's a good defender. Chris Middleton could do like everyone on, and now Dante. Like you have five players who can defensively do the job really, really well, 
and you look at the bench and other than Torrey Craig, you have a bunch of guys that probably can't. Maybe Jordan Nora can, but we don't know that because we don't know much about him. So I feel like last year was, you know, we'll try and at least limit teams' points and hope for the best offensively. And now this year it's, we're going to try and score a lot of points, but hope for the best defensively. Yeah, how about any of the young players intrigue you guys or think that anything's going to come of them? The second round draft picks, Jordan Nuora, Sam Merrill. I'm curious about them. Like, I think if Sam Merrill can come in and at least not be the worst player on the team, that'd be <laughs> positive. Like, all you got to do is beat TJ Wilson and you're fine. But, you know, hey, if he can. If, just want the word. Hey, <laughs> that's fair. I think if Merrill can sh- shoot at least 35%, that would be a win for a guy that was taken with the last pick of the draft. And for Jordan Nuora, it's more, can he kind of do what Sterling Brown did? If he can, if those two can at least not look like complete train wrecks on the court, I think that would be a win for the Bucks. And I, I want to, I'll give him a shot. I have faith that at least one of them will turn out. And I feel like I kind of have to because the Bucks really don't have any other options of getting younger players. So mm-hmm. I think they'll be interesting. We'll see how the preseason goes and how fast they adjust. But if Merrill can shoot 35% and Nuora can at least look competent on the court, that would be enough to for at least the regular season. I don't think they're going to matter come playoff time, but it would be good to at least see some young players be of some use in the regular season. I'm of the opinion that these guys are horribly second-round players for a reason. Uh, Sam Bernal, especially, watching some of the highlights defensively. And guys, not have a lot of foot speed. I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's going to be <laughs> Kyle Korver, but like if you toss Kyle Korver into like a time machine and went back 20 years, that's what's going to be the experience. So I expect absolutely nothing from Merrill whatsoever. He looks, to me, a little too slow. Maybe he'll trim the fat and come in like a speed demon of camp, but I doubt that. Um, Wara is... Is it no aura or is, is the N silent? Do we have I'm any idea? Sure. Okay, we're just guessing. I think, I believe on the draft they said Wara, so like the N was silent. But so Jordan, um, he's an interesting guy because he's probably going to be competing with Tory Craig for the, like the backup three or like, you know, four minutes or whatever. Um, I don't know. Like Ursan was still serviceable in the regular season. And I expect it to be a pretty significant drop off, especially offensively between Ursan and like Ursan of last year and Craig and War of this year. Um, I mean, Jordan can hit threes, which is good. Now the question is, does it, like we said before the draft, does he have like one more skill that he's okay at? It seems like he was a decent rebounder. Um, I didn't read anything about him being like an excellent defender necessarily, which, you know, whatever, we can kind of work on that. Um, I don't know. I, I, they're both interesting insofar as their draft picks who have no prior professional experience to work off of, but I do not go in with high expectations of them having big roles and that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Um, I, I'm actually almost more intrigued by Jalen Adams and Mamari Diakite just because, uh, Jalen's he's proven he's been in the system before he, I think he's going to step in, probably be like our third point guard. Um, and he, wasn't he like also a runner up for like a G league MVP. So like, you know, he he's experienced. He's, I think he's interesting. Diakite is like the undrafted guy who, I mean, some of the tape looks really impressive. I'm curious why it is. He went undrafted, but I'm almost more interested by those two guys than the guys we drafted. But, um, you know, I, I think if these guys are making an impact into the playoffs or like have significant minutes, something probably went sideways, I would guess. 
And the N is silent, so it is Jordan Wara. So Wara. Wara. It's not good. One other note on Bobby Portis. I did see <laughs> yeah. that he was <laughs> I did see. I was I was, I was thinking, okay, what what if Robin Lopez can he replicate? The rim defense didn't get a chance to look those numbers up. Seriously doubt that they're there. But I was thinking about box outs as Lopez brothers are typically known as, as great box outs. Bobby Portis ranked 10th in terms of box outs per 36 last season. I think Robin Lopez was number one. And it was so got to give credit where it's credit, credits due. This dude puts his butt on people uh, at a decent degree. So credit to Bobby Portis. So. I want to talk. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So if we're, I don't know if we're going to be wrapping up the free agency talk here, but does anybody have any sort of thoughts on DJ Augustine whatsoever? Because we we were going to go through like favorite free agency deals, least favorite. I think he's going to be serviceable, like helpful this season. I'm really worried about a guy at 33. I don't know if he just turned 33, if this is, if he's going to turn 34 in the season, but um he the the age the fact that he's a smaller guy and he already doesn't play great defense i think he'll be a fun addition and i think he'll be decent as a backup but that if i was to choose any of the free agency deals that are my least favorite that's probably my one if i was to guess yeah i i'm i'm not sure because i guess this is more the expectations if we expect him to be you know george hill I don't think he's going to. I think he will fall a little bit short. He is, again, the most pure point guard we've had in a long time. But if we're expecting him to kind of do what George Hill does, I don't think that's going to end well. But in terms of deals, I'm Bryn Forbes is the one that's making me a little hesitant because if he doesn't shoot the ball well, he is useless on the court. And while he has a player <laughs> option, that then worries me if he plays poorly and he opts in okay now you have this contract and it's using your mle and that's not great but if he plays well and opts out then you're kind of back to square one so that's the one where i'm kind of just pausing because if he plays well and milwaukee wins a championship okay cool whatever i don't care if he plays well and milwaukee if he plays well and opts out it's understandable because kind of similar to west matthews he can probably get a better deal elsewhere but if he plays poorly, unless you hope that he kind of pulls a Robin Lopez and gets a better deal, then he opts back in. And you're, again, you're using Emily. And if Giannis signs the Supermax, and that's a lot of cap space that you're not going to have. So I think that's the deal that worries me more because it feels as though if he can't hit his shots, he's not going to be helpful at all on the court. Yeah, the Augustine one. I don't, right. I, I mean, I don't, it, it is only two years. So even if it goes super south, I mean, you know, if next year is a write off, what matters is can he get us through this year? It seems like for the most part, and then we'll kind of figure out things past that. So I don't want to be like DJ Augustine's going to be a net negative. I think it's going to be valuable having somebody who can create, you know, in theory, create in ways that maybe Eric wasn't as efficient at or like George, that wasn't necessarily his game per se. Like they were both fine, but maybe not as uh, traditional of a passer or a guy who sets up like DJ, but of the ones is probably the one that I would side eye the most, just because it's the largest dollar amount in three years. Um, and I can't imagine he'll still be good enough to justify the 7 million after three years, but who, what do I know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I was looking at like uh, Patty Mills. I don't know if he's like a decent comp or not. Maybe Patty Mills is a bit like a friskier defender, but they're about the same age. And I probably would have been excited to get Patty Mills. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if I would a lot more than DJ Augustine. I don't know. I think the one thing I like about DJ Augustine is, yeah, like George Hill could run the offense a little bit, but I never felt like he maybe seemed as much of a potent pick and roll threat as DJ Augustine might. I kind of like someone who seems like he has a little bit more of a floor general feel about him. Um, and, but it is a lot of, it is a lot of money for an older guy. That's the only one where someone is definitely older, obviously. And I would be, but who knows? I mean, Ursan proved, proved us pretty wrong. I think, I, th- I think that first year, especially he really lived up to his contract. So, yeah. yep. so we will find out. Hmm. Well, I wanted to, before moving on from free agency, I want to talk about the front office in particular. Uh, uh, this is John Horse. Probably, I would say, I don't know if it was his biggest offseason, um, but I would say like it remade the roster potentially in the largest way. Um, it sort of moved on, I would I would say more so from his 20, 2018, 2017, 2018 year where he got in Brook. He had traded for Eric Bledsoe earlier that year. And then later that, you know, early start of that summer, early start of that season, he traded for George Hill, got rid of John Henson, kind of remade the roster in his own image. Uh, shifted a lot of that over. It's a lot of new players now, obviously went all in for the Drew Holiday trade. You know, we've seen a couple off seasons now of John Horst. We've seen some good, we've seen some bad. What are we thinking a couple of years in now, Riley, of John Horst, John Horst's front office, their ability, maybe where you have them pegged in terms of, of tiers of front offices uh, in the league. Obviously it's tough for us to know because we don't study other ones, but just maybe ballpark what you're thinking of him a couple years on. Yeah. So first things, he loves a trade. This dude loves a big trade. He tried to swing two of them for God's sake. And we thought we were like, we made it. We made it to the promise. Everybody loves a trade. So he's not afraid. He's, he is fearless when it comes to like, you know, whatever assets you got to put in, like if it comes to like mortgaging the future, like really putting your draft future in doubt, he's happy to do that. So um, they're brave. I think, they seem to be okay. I don't know how much they were really riding on the Bogdanovich trade coming through, um, but if that did totally fall through and they had to like go to Plan B, Plan C, whatever, I, I think the haul that he, the guys he brought in all seem like pretty decent values. Like we said, Augustine's a little iffy, but like if these guys hit, this is again another example of finding guys who are undervalued or like you know looking for like a ring chaser sort of situation, and who knows if they're gonna hit. But they all seem like you could at least squint your eyes and say, I could see where – I don't know about Bobby Portis. I don't know why Bobby Portis is here. But I could see where Green <laughs> Forbes has like a role to play. I could see where Tory Craig has a role to play. We obviously know where Drew has a role to play. So if I was to like tier them, I, I, I'd say they're probably in the upper half of the league. I, I think it's really hard to get a read on it because like we've discussed – in the rest of the offseason, our time horizon for competing shifted radically. But given the constraints of what we've had so far um, and what our expectations are and how to build around the contracts, I think the, a top half would probably – I would not say they're a bottom half front office. They seem active. They seem relatively clear-eyed about, like, if there's a problem in the roster, you could complain about last year that they just ran it back. But if they say, you know, they identified the Eric Bledsoe problem, they didn't wait, they, like, will pay whatever it takes to fix that, you know, they, I think that's what you could hope for from the front office. Eventually you're going to run into a brick wall where it's like we have nothing else to move to make that happen. But as long as they do have it, they're willing to make it move. Uh, so, I don't know, top half. Top third, I don't know if – 
like you said, I don't really study it, but I would feel pretty confident them versus some of the other, you know, pretty good front offices around the league. Yeah, I would say he's probably in like that 15 to 10 range in terms of, you know, GMs in front office, just because, you know, when you think best front offices in the NBA, I don't think John Horse is a name that really pops into your head. You kind of think of like Sam Presti. You kind of think of Daryl Morey. You think of Masai Ujiri. Masai Ujiri, yeah. Or even the one or Karnasovas who. Yeah, Denver's good too. Denver, yeah, like Danny Denver Ange. has a good one. Well, not Danny Miami. Ange. No, not Danny Ange. Miami, no. yeah. <laughs> oh, Danny Ange when it comes Danny to getting Ange. draft picks. And Danny Ange had all those assets for the last few years, and all that's gotten him is an okay Jason Tatum who can be good, but isn't going to get you a champ. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, Danny Ainge probably makes the top 10 just by default because at least he can swindle people out of trades. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just doesn't pull the trigger out of trades. But with John Horse, it's he seems and I think it's a little bit tougher because he's also working on the premise of he knows that he had this whole Giannis decision to factor in. And you have to make these moves to convince Giannis to say now say Giannis signs. You have the next five years to figure it out. That's when it's going to get interesting because now you've mortgaged your future. How do you navigate around that? And that's going to be, I think, the better question. And if Giannis leaves, then he probably is not going to end up in a job too much longer. So I feel like it's a little bit tough to completely judge because you have this extra, like this ulterior motive of you have to keep your franchise star happy. And maybe he made moves that he probably wouldn't have done himself, but he knows if this is a chance to get Giannis to stay in Milwaukee, then I have to do it. I don't think that's all of his moves. I think there are some moves that you can, again, like the Thanasis contract last year, a prime example of, I don't think he does that if he doesn't have that pressure. Same with Pat Connaughton. I feel like those are some of those things where maybe he doesn't do those if he knows he doesn't have that ulterior motive. So I think he's done a good enough job. I think he's been pretty good at digging himself out of the hole that he put himself in. You know, you look at the Delhi. Well, he wasn't there for the Delhi contract, right? No, that was well. Him. He was, was he was he was technically there. He was there. Yeah, but, but you're right. It was Hammond. Hammond was, yeah. a, but he well, was, it was kid. Kid. Okay. Well, yeah, either way, <laughs> he's good at getting himself out of the hole that. Either he put himself in or the team had put him in initially, you know, getting out of John Henson and Delhi's contract for George Hill, getting out of Tony Snell's contract. Yes, we had to part ways with the first round pick and take John Lord by that out. But, you know, it was a contract that probably didn't make sense that he gave. He was able to get himself out of it with Greg Monroe. He makes that trade. He gets the, they get the deal. It doesn't work. He at least gets Eric Bledsoe. That kind of works at least it makes it better in the regular season doesn't work in the playoffs he's able to shift that over to drew holiday so he is good at you know recognizing that maybe this move wasn't the right decision and doing what it takes to get himself out of it it has cost him a lot of draft picks but i don't think he necessarily cares about that because at the very least cap wise it allowed him to give the contracts of brooke it gives him the ability to give chris his contract it gave a potential for drew holiday if he decides to extend it at least gives him a chance to get the roster that he feels is going to be the best option. Do you guys give him any demerits for apparently up until now, or I I don't even know what our tax situation is, but having been unable to convince ownership to do whatever moves or keep whoever it would take. And I I think there was even like the example of, again, 
don't know the cap, but like the George Hill and Brooke Lopez uh, contracts last year. And there was like something where they ducked getting a trade exception that they could have used in the season to go over into the luxury tax. Do you guys give them a demerit for having been able to thus far convince ownership to go into the tax? I'll still give them a slight demerit because I mean, while ownership probably says try not to go into the tax. I also think if ownership was like, if that means you're going to get us closer to a championship, then okay, fine. We'll deal. We'll suck it up. So I'll still give him a demerit because he still could have made the moves. And yes, it might've gotten walking in the tax, but I think he made that choice knowing enemy with Brogdon, the prime example, maybe horse just decided. I don't think this is a contract I want to keep. We don't know to what extent of the not wanting to pay the luxury tax was on horse and how much of it was on ownership. But I mean, he still gets a demerit because he still is the one that has to put the roster together. He still is the one that probably has final say. And he could have done, and with the trade exception, he could have made it work in some other capacity. So yeah, I'll still give him a demerit, but it's not going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe horse is not doing this. Worst GM, cheap GM, et cetera. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the guy. Obviously, very few of us know the guy. I think he's done a really solid job. He, I think he's grown incredibly so in terms of speaking to the media in the last couple of years. I think he's done a great job with that. Um, I also think the way he got the job put him in a sort of a strange shadow of ownership, essentially foregoing so many other candidates, and then being like, "Oh, wait, you're left in a chair." we're going to tap you on the shoulder as the sort of the successor who's going to take over. You have been hand basically handpicked to do all of this. And all of a sudden John Horst is elevated to a position that I don't know. I don't think he was expecting to have uh, when that, when that thing started. So and it's specifically handpicked from one owner. It's not like it was a yes. consensus. It was one particular owner, which and I that's, think w- that's not the owner who's the governor right now as well. By right. Uh, to should yeah. be noted, which I think would be, a very strange situation to have to go into. I think I would feel it's me personally. I don't know him. Maybe he's just has complete balls, but I would feel a little beholden to that person uh, and feel a little strange about, you know, trying to force them to pay a ton of money when it's something they don't want to do. But I think he's done a good job of moving on from that. I give him demerits personally. I think the thing we learned about him is, and maybe we knew this last year, but I think we learned that, like you guys said, he's not like a top five front office, uh, which could be an incredible advantage for this team. And I think early on, it seemed like he was, he had, they, they put him out there as the cap guy. They put, that's what they said. It was, that's was the rumors. He's like, he's the cap guy. And if he is, I'm a little dubious of that. Just given some of these, some of these moves, like he made a lot of smart, he's made a lot of smart moves. He made a lot of smart moves. Like at that second round pick with the, with the wizards did all these tiny moves on the margins to make sure he could trade for Miritich, not have to give up a first great moves, all of them. And maybe some of these things are bored out of the fact that like Kyle said, he's, he's, he's under this intense pressure, intense scrutiny to keep Giannis. So he's making moves. He probably wouldn't do in a vacuum. Maybe some of it was born out of the compressed off season, I mean, I know if when I have a lot of stuff to do at my job, I definitely screw some stuff up. I'm just not publicly called out for it. Um, but I, I mean, just some of the the way, like Kyle said, that he could get called out on Twitter so easily for not understanding that Pat Connaughton thing. Um, John Hollinger called him out and said 
There was some stuff where you could have somehow fit DJ Augustine into the sign-in trade with Drew Holiday. Um, and I mean, that obviously would have required talking to the Orlando Magic for an office, but like pretty good relationship with someone down there. I think there's someone you could call up and chat to. Um, you know, just there's just some of those marginal moves that when you really want to win a championship and when your team is making those, it gives you complete faith in what the front office is doing. And between some of those minor moves that they kind of screwed up and the Bogdanovich stuff, still have a lot of faith in John Horst in them. But I I just don't view them as like, okay, that is a huge asset to our franchise is that we have John Horst at the helm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough situation. I, I think, again, it comes down to the Giannis thing. If he does sign, that opens up a whole different chapter in Horst's mm. tenure, assuming – I mean, right. maybe they'll even like choose to make it. I, I doubt it because I think John Horse is still getting paid like peanuts, so they might still keep him around anyhow. And he, he's been serviceable, but I think the ability to have a more stronger, a more stable cap sheet heading forward, even if a lot of the money's getting taken up by Giannis and Chris, that's the sort of stability that maybe you're not forced to give player options to every damn dude you sign because you're like, well, I don't know if Giannis is going to be here. Or like, you know, for whatever reason that they keep giving these guys player options, for example, but. Um, I'm hoping, crossing fingers, that once the Giannis situation is stabilized, we won't be put as against the wall to try and figure things out. And again, you know, if all these guys that they brought in this year were the plan B after the Bogdanovich and they had to pivot relatively quickly to bring all these guys in, it's not bad work for having done it within the span of four or five days, you know assuming they didn't tamper beforehand or whatever and they only just talked to these guys for those four days. But um, it seems like he's pretty quick at pivoting and taking advantage of a situation when he sees it. But like I said, small moves, they add up eventually. In that first year, he made a bunch of small moves. They added up for us. And so far, they've made a lot of small moves, which have been a detraction for us. So, Yeah. Interesting offseason. Really interesting offseason. It's going to get underway very soon. The books are already doing media days. And the first preseason game is going to be on Saturday, December 12th against the Mavericks. So coming up really quickly. Kyle, you wrote about uh, the first day of media days. It was a really nice wrap up on brewhoop.com. Very informative for me who missed the first days of first part of media days. Uh, anything stand out to you from that or anything else you, we, you might've caught from the media day session so far. We'll get to Bud's comment. Cause I feel like that's the big talking point, but in terms of the other players that spoke, it seems, I think the biggest thing to me was Chris Middleton, I don't know if it's because Giannis is not talking to the media. I don't know if that's just because that's just who Chris Middleton is, but it seems like he's taken more of a step in the leadership role. It seems as though while Giannis is the best player and probably would be quote unquote viewed as captain, it feels like Chris Middleton's kind of like that veteran leader. That's going to be the guy. And maybe that he felt more empowered after the Miami series and kind of almost single-handedly winning that game four. I don't know, but that really stood out to me. It seemed like he just had an attitude based off of the videos and the you know tweets that were coming out. It just seemed like he understood the implications of the last two playoff failures and the window. It kind of seems like he's like, yeah, we need to take advantage of this. We have this opportunity. We already dropped the ball twice. We can't do it again. And I think he understands the urgency. I just think him, I guess, talking to the media again today, um, today being Sunday, it just seems as though he's really taken that step up. And for someone that, you know, seems more 
not necessarily like not more reserved, I guess, not as outspoken, not as he's kind of growing into that. And I think that's something that really stood out to me on that first day. Um, otherwise, and I mean, he said, like, I told Giannis exactly what I thought and I hope he comes back. And I was in that same situation last year. And today he's talking about, well, we made a joke and got him a bunch of pens to sign. And I think it's kind of more of a that's just like the role he stepped into. And maybe he's thinking, well, if Giannis does leave, then it kind of leaves me as that guy now. So maybe that's part of the reason is he is thinking in case Giannis leaves, I have to be that guy. But that's kind of been the big thing that stood out to me. And then Budenholzer's comment, while it's tough because we don't have a video, so we don't know the exact reaction, him saying that it's not championship or bust is not something you should say after you get eliminated early in semi-embarrassing fashion (laughs) while your franchise superstar has yet to officially sign a supermax or even make a decision that's probably not something that you want to say out loud i get that he's probably wanted to you know lower expectations not put as much of a burden on his guys but you're a team that for the past two regular seasons have had the best record in the nba you have the two-time mvp you have the defensive player year you have this squad that realistically should be challenging for the Eastern conference and maybe even a championship in general. So to say it's not championship or bust seems a little naive and seems more of a loser's mentality. If this was, you know, Philly saying it's not championship or bust. If this was Brooklyn saying it's not championship or bust, then okay, fine. That makes sense because no one's expecting that. But with Milwaukee, it's like we are expecting it at this point and you can't just, kind of try and brush it under the carpet or under the rug. My three things would be one, if Boonholzer came into media day and seemed like visibly like stressed out or like, uh, yeah, we got to win like really bad this year. Like super, I would be a little, <laughs> I would be concerned probably just because he's been very level headed throughout like his entire, even when like our, we were staring into the abyss of the off season, he was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really give a shit. So we're going to see how it goes. This <laughs> So I guess I would be concerned if he was worried. Uh, second thing, uh, Bobby Portis, I didn't watch the whole thing, but he said something along the lines of, like, I've never been a me guy. I've always been a we guy. But that seems to be some revisionist history, given that he has punched out teammates in the past. It's been a while since he did that, but he seems like he's going to be a wild ride to have on the team. Um, third thing that uh, just watching a couple of the videos Part of it might be because there's a pandemic going on. Um, part of it is the fact that we got smacked in the second round last year. But um, I'm not sure if I would say this team seems more serious, like mentality-wise. But I don't think we're going to have anybody like Wes and Robin, like, decking each other before every single game and, like, mock wrestling scenes. Uh, I mean, Thanasis is still around, so maybe he'll jump in and keep it going or whatever. But, like, it, it seems that, you know... Portis, assuming he's not a crazy person, but it seems like all the guys that they brought in, it, all relatively serious individuals, and most of the players are serious. It's not like it's the wrestling thing speaks to like all these teams didn't, these guys didn't care about winning. But it seems that, like Kyle said, because of the loss last year, these past two seasons, um, the expectations, all the pressure built around Giannis being on the team, they seem like a pretty self serious group, and that'll probably be for the best. And maybe. You know, it'll probably still probably take a bit of time to gel, but if they're coming in with the right mentality, hopefully that'll iron that out a little bit for them. Interesting takeaways. Media days, we of course haven't heard from Giannis yet. We are still waiting to do that, but that's going to continue. Last thing I wanted to touch on before we go to the city jerseys, 
first preseason game against the Dallas Mavericks. Anything in particular you guys are interested in watching for? I'm actually kind of excited. I, I didn't think I'd be that excited, but I kind of, I'm kind of excited. Is it here or is it in Dallas? It's here. Both games are in. It, both games I was going to say, if, if it was in Dallas, I was going to, the thing I would watch out for is whether or not they put a Giannis come to Dallas sign up like <laughs> in the arena before the game. Um, I, I think I am interested in the starting lineup. That's not that crazy of a thing, but I think there's been talk of like, oh, would, would Drew work best as the two guard? And then you have DJ as like the one guard. Um, would it make sense to have like Forbes out there or Dante or like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just interested in the first starting lineup, and um, I, I hope Giannis isn't too beat up about the Bogdanovich thing. And hopefully, the couple of practices they'll have between now and then will convince them, like, oh, this is a definite step up here, and they're able to gel one another pretty quickly. So that's what I'm looking for. I would say how basically the bench is going to be a bunch of new guys. So how those players kind of assimilate themselves. You know, I don't expect them to hit the ground running. It'd be a miracle if they looked like they've been in the system for a while or they looked super comfortable. So just kind of see how they handle both Bud's system and also in the guys of Wara and Merrill, do they look like maybe they can potentially have an NBA career? So I think those are going to be the things that I'll look for because I feel like it's not going to be a very heavy Giannis, Chris, Brooke, I don't, Drew. I don't think they're going to have much. They're not going to play – I would be shocked if they played more than 25 minutes. So how the other guys handle it is going to be interesting. And I also wonder if DJ Wilson is going to have a really good preseason and sucker us into thinking maybe this guy isn't completely terrible. And you'll have certain parts of Buck's Twitter saying, see, there he is. All he needed was an opportunity. He just needed a legit chance, just like he got those that 10-game stretch in 2019. <laughs> Yeah, can't wait to see DJ Wilson out there. You'll know, you'll know uh, the that Bud is still waiting to get his his defensive scheme implemented if the bench runs out there and he goes with the Bonzi Colson Tim Reynolds zone special. So you'll you'll be able to, you'll be able to get a tip off real quickly right there. Preseason games coming up. We'll make our predictions later. Let's move on and let's talk about the city edition jerseys that were revealed this week. I'm I'm gonna give it up. It felt like no offense to you, Riley. It felt like Kyle probably has the strongest reactions uh, towards the jerseys. So I'm just gonna let him. Uh, you know, spitball here. You can't put out all those stupid teaser tweets right before free agency. Your franchise superstar, probably possibly the greatest player to ever grace this godforsaken place. You can't put out these teaser tweets while that's hanging in the balance and just continuously just put out a bunch of water. And then while they didn't say they're going to reveal the jersey that Friday, they did say we're going to reveal the color. And was like, well, we know it's going to be fucking blue. So then you (laughs) tell us it's blue. It's like, yeah, no shit. We saw all the water tweets. We're not idiots. And then you followed up with a jersey that's very underwhelming. Like you like it's just more the underwhelming aspect of the jersey. I don't care that it was necessarily blue, but it was just kind of a boring blue. You have these three shades. And what, how it looks in the picture looks different than when it was on the model, which looks different than the drawing or whatever. And then it's supposed to represent the lakes. And it's like, well, okay, who actually lives on the lakes well enough that isn't that are attending these games? It just seemed like a poor cop out to try and use blue. And then it just, I just, it just doesn't look good. It's like you have two shades of blue and neither of them look good. And I think that's my issue with the jersey. It's like you did blue because 
you've been goaded and people have begged you to do blue for the last four years. And then you come out with this. And after all the teasing and all, all that crap, that's what you put out. It's like, it's not even a good Jersey. If it was just play, if it, if it was just a plain blue and you did some other things, I think that would be better instead of trying to do these like three shades of blue that don't work and they don't look good. So I, I, I just think it's like, you can't put out all those teaser tweets given the context of the situation and have a Jersey that underwhelming. Uh, my only key thoughts, um, I think the shorts look actually pretty good. I really like the state outline logo. Um, my main complaints are, uh, one, they didn't do a cursive font. I hate our brutalist font. I, I hate it on the plain Jersey too. Um, it's a little too like F you, like that's what it's telling me. It's like, you know, the 1950s called, they want their font back, you know, zinger. But uh, I would prefer if they're going to do a river or lake one, let's just do a cursive font. I think that would look cool. Um, I am thankful, though, and I said this on, you know, behind the curtain here. We had a staff call this past week. Um, I was happy that they did not, the truthers who thought that the Giannis extension was going to be announced while he was wearing the jersey. I'm so thankful that didn't come to pass because... That would have been what an awful way to celebrate <laughs> the moment where one of the greatest players in franchise history decides to come back and he's wearing the new blue jerseys. That would have been horrendous. So shout out to Bucks PR for not doing that. Assu- assuming Giannis comes back, I guess I would have taken it. If it's going to be Giannis doesn't sign at all or he signs in the blue jerseys, I would take <laughs> signs in the blue jerseys. But if assuming he does sign, no blue jersey signing reveal, that, that was the way to do it. So that's my only real thoughts on it. Yep, we passed the blue jersey extension reveal. We've passed now the birthday extension reveal. So I don't know what these Lestrades on Buckswood are going to figure out this time. I don't know. I think the jerseys are kind of nice. They're like a nice, they're just a nice tranquil blue. Is there anything? The is there anything you have an issue with? If you were to um, point out one thing you'd improve, what would it be? Nothing. I didn't. I've improved. They're perfect. <laughs> You know, I'm not a huge fan of the really light blue. I've just, I've just never thought it was the best color. It feels, I don't know, a little carnival-y to me. It's a little bright. Um, I want to see how the numbers with the weird thing on them give the illusion that they're wet. I want to see if that actually works. uh, Because that's kind of interesting to me. Um, I like, you know what I really like is the little state outline on the little part of their shorts that has um, the little openings where the three major lakes touch Wisconsin. I like that quite a bit. Um, Otherwise I think, you know, they're, they're okay. They're not, they're not my favorite jerseys they've done. I really liked the shorts on that one Jersey a couple years ago. That was like the old buck on the short or something. Oh, like like that they did for like that one random, like, yeah, Yeah. I know which one you're talking about. The game in the Mecca. Was it the Mecca throwback set? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Anyway, the Mecca Christmas is still the best one that they should have, and they should have had that go for more than six games. I'm so mad about that. Uh, New Jersey's always fun. Well, that'll do it for our substantial discussion. We're going to move on and take a break, and then on the other side, you're going to get our our usual potpourri of subjects. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. It's time for rapid fire questions. And I wrote them today, so I'll do them right now. Let me just pull them up on my phone. They're huge. Well, real quick while I'm waiting, do you guys, do each of you use Spotify? 
Uh, yes. Yep. Okay. All right. First question. Do you like candy canes? I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I like them, too. Both the regular peppermint and, like, the candy, like, faux candy, candy, oh, candy canes. Yeah. Those are the good ones. God, I yeah. love those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Spotify rap came out this week. Uh, do you remember any of your top five artists and are you willing to share them? <laughs> yeah, I can go because I did tweet mine. So context Sterling was born on Christmas <laughs> on 2019. So going into and his first full day at home was New Year's Day. So pretty much since New Year's Day. He has been in the house. So my number one artist was Baby Tunes. <laughs> and that's just Baby Tunes is all of the typical lullabies you can think of, which I think three of the lullabies made my top five songs. So that was number one. Burn a Boy was num- my number two artist. I was happy with that. Number three was Bad Bunny. That made sense. I was okay with that. Number four was Bon Iver. That was thanks to Emma, not me. I could care less because we shared our Spotify. And the number five was Childish Gambino because no matter what, Childish Gambino makes it into my top five artists every single year. Uh, I'm in a similar situation with Kyle where I share my Spotify account, which is some of the darkest stuff ever because the algorithm when I first got the account was really good. And then... (laughs) And Catherine got a hold of it, and it's been in the trash ever since. So thanks to her, my top five artists this year are Baby No Money, uh, Kyle, Doja Cat, The 1975, and Lil Mosey are my top five artists this year. And uh, the top five songs also reflect that. So uh, my top fives in both have nothing to do with what I listen to. So You guys both share? Did you not get that uh, Spotify duo? Did you guys see that when they were promoting it for a while? Well, so this is dark. I'm actually so my dad has like the family plan. So I yeah. have the family account, and then she just uh, ended up. So that's where it comes from. We probably could have done the duo, but that felt like a lot more work than just sharing the Spotify. And normally it's fine because as long as both of us aren't trying to listen on Spotify at the same time, it's fine. It's just a lot more work than we wanted to put in. What yeah, about you, fair. Adam? Did you? What was your top five, real quick? Yeah, man. Uh, Taylor Swift, number one. Two years running for her. Hell yeah. <laughs> Big Swift. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Everyone had her uh, as the number one. Hey, but I had her two years in a row. Uh, <laughs> That's true. True number fan. Two, number two, Phoebe Bridgers. Three, Waxahachi. Four, Churches. Five, Charlie XCX. Those were my, my artists. Pretty strong top five. Wow. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> you can only wear one Bucks jersey for the rest of your life. What, which one would it be? The 1996 alternate with the buck on the front of the jersey. That is green. That's easy. Uh, mine would be the blue jersey that Giannis signs as Supermax in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess I would go with, like, is it the original, like, the that there's that one picture of Kareem. It's, like, the really dark hunter green with, like, the – Bucks in red and cursive. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. really, really good jersey. I look, so I write in cursive, so I'm partial to cursive, but I think it looks really good on that jersey. So probably if I'm a specific player, I don't know, probably Giannis. But if I was to do a style of jersey, it would be that one. Okay. Good answers. All right. For the rest of your life, you only get one vegetable you get to eat. Just one. <laughs> one veggie. What's it going to be? 
Man, this is tough. Uh, <laughs> I'm Kyle, if you have one. <sighs> I use, so I'll just go first. I use onions and like everything. It's awful because I, I will have sometimes, I'll just smell like an onion. I can smell myself like I smell <laughs> like an onion. So I get tired of that. But of the items that I use that are like versatile and things, it would probably be an onion. I'd probably go ugh, peppers. Mm. I'd, do I have to specify what kind of pepper or can I just say pepper? No, you, no, we'll let you do all peppers that way. Well, okay. Get... If I have to pick one, it's going to be a red pepper, but. <laughs> okay. There we go. Well, Riley, feel... you could get green onions, red onions, yellow onions, Vidalia onions, white onions. That doesn't make me feel any better about my picks. At least with the peppers, you have like slight differences in like spiciness or whatever, you know, an right. onion, no matter what, generally tastes like an onion, no matter what it's form. In my... I was thinking potato would have been like my number two choice, but Ooh. I feel like with but I feel like with pepper, I can at least just eat it. I can eat it plain. I can put it in whatever recipe. I can do stuffed peppers. Like I can at least, there's more variety with peppers. Not that there isn't with potato, but at least with peppers, I can just like cut it into pieces and eat it with like ranch or something. It's true. It's really versatile. Uh, it's something Bud would say versatile. Uh, all right. Take me back to high school. You're oh, in God. your English class. No. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a couple books you're reading. You've got the test the next day. Are you reading the books or are you spark noting the books? What would you more often than not be doing? I'm High school huge, me would have. Oh, what go, book? Go. Depends on the book. Mm-hmm. Say, let's really, just say in, in general, Kyle, what would okay. you, were you, were you a reader or were you, I'm going to spark notes this. Also Probably... known as a cheater. Let that be known. <laughs> Let's not let's not sugarcoat this. Or were you a cheater? <laughs> it's tough because I w- tried to be the reader. I really tried my best, but especially in the winter when it was basketball season, I didn't have time to read it. So then I would go to Spark Notes. But if I had to choose, I would. Pref- I probably would have tried reading it first. Um, I was a huge goddamn nerd. I still am, so I would just <laughs> read the books. I enjoyed it. I liked most of like all the English classes I took. I enjoyed most of the books, uh, challenging or otherwise. So I would read the book. All right, that's all I got. Those were all my rapid fire <laughs> questions. <laughs> Good stuff this week. All right, let's move on. It's time for vulture talk. What is the situation with Giannis's long-term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 Yeah, and I think this Vulture Talk, it's going to be unique. For the first time since this segment started, we can actually cross off a team from the Vulture Talk list. <laughs> uh, I want you guys to go ahead, everybody listening, no matter what drink you have, just pour a little bit out on the floor nearby you because the Lake Show is no longer in the running having signed... Uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James to max deals. Uh, they are no longer going to have, I don't think it would be even mathematically possible for them unless Giannis signed for like a minimum or something stupid, but uh, <laughs> they are out of the race for Giannis, uh, which is really sad for those suffering Lakers fans. You just love to see a team like them make it to the mountaintop and get rewarded for all the struggles they've been through. So, uh, you know, sad to see a small market team like that get out of the running, but they are no longer there. Otherwise I didn't hear a lot from other vulturic teams uh, i think it's probably because everybody's doing media day and everybody's focused on the rosters but give it a couple weeks and if that miana signs the supermax everybody's gonna be like well we'll just trade for him so it, it's all it never ends it continues on forever so that's what i got i feel like 
it's really only down to Miami, Dallas, and Toronto. Like, I feel like Toronto's still floating out there somehow. They've just been really quiet about it. Because Golden maybe, State. like, well, I don't think Golden State, well, Golden State probably can unless they make pull off a signing trade and what, I don't, I, I don't know. They've been by far, of all their local media people, they've been by far the most aggressive. Like True. the Heat people, I mean, they'll get in every once in a while, but their their websites are inane enough that I, they have actual, like the official NBC Sports affiliate writing just the craziest stories about Giannis coming to the Bay. And so I have to give a shout out to them. Maybe it's not the most realistic path, but all the teams who are convinced that they're going to get it, they're the ones for sure that, that are most convinced they're going to be the Giannis destination. Fair enough. RIP to the Lakers' chances of getting Giannis, but thank God Costas is still aboard. Right. I actually don't know if he is, but whatever. All right, let's move on, Kyle. It's time for your film review. All right, so it is that time of year. Christmas movies are the dominant topic, so Netflix had one. It's called The App That Stole Christmas. I wasn't planning on watching it. Emma put it on the TV, and I just somehow was on the couch while it was happening, and I just ended up watching it. But... It's a guy who created this app that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, he... <laughs> it's like Jordan Wara. He's like, it's like... What does it do, he's like, though? He's like, he's like the ultimate Budenholzer player. I honestly, like, I don't remember what the app actually does. I think it was either, like, a scheduling app or a music slash, like, TikTok-like yeah. app. Yeah. It was one or the other. It was something more social media like. But either way, it makes this app and it kind of dominates his life. It dominates his kids' life. It dominates everyone's life. Like everyone has this app. And then he, I guess, like he was growing up and he helped out his dad in like a workshop or whatever. Not necessarily like Santa's elves, but kind of did more craftsman stuff. Suffers an accident, goes back and realizes, you know, his past mistakes, learns maybe I shouldn't be completely beholden to this phone app. I don't know. It seemed like it seemed very short. It was I will never watch it again. It was a Christmas movie that was on Netflix. Again, Emma just threw it on the TV and I was like, all right, I, was, I guess I'm watching this. I was this. gonna ask what kind of crazy ish is Emma watching? I mean, my God. This I mean, I know sometimes the selection on Netflix is thin if you've watched enough, but come on. It's one of those where it's like, oh, it's time like it was right after Thanksgiving, so it's like, okay, because I am a very big I don't give a shit about christmas until after thanksgiving so the second like it became black friday it was like all right christmas movies galore that for, mm-hmm. like that weekend <laughs> so yeah it was i give it a four it was not yeah. i don't remember anything there was nothing memorable about that movie so the app that's still christmas four out of ten it's on netflix um the other one and that's this is one that more people probably heard happiest season um that is on hulu um, it has Kristen Stewart, um, Aub- Aubrey Plaza makes an appearance, um, Dan Levy, who is in Schitt's Creek. He's pretty involved in it. Uh, Allison Bree's in it. It's kind of this family. It's this, it's this couple. It's a lesbian couple who one of them doesn't come, has not come out to her parents. And she's bringing her girlfriend home for the holidays. And it's kind of like a, well... I haven't told my parents that I'm gay, so trying to navigate all of the issues there and both trying to hide it from her family, but still keep the relationship working. It's I don't know what my full thoughts on the movie are because it's like I have not been in this position, so I can't relate. I can't understand the internal struggle that can happen. 
I know a lot of people are trashing the main character for how she acts in the relationship and it's very valid, but at the same time, it's like, well, I, I can't necessarily slam her because I don't know what it's like. It's, it is very good. It is very entertaining. Um, it has, it's, it's got a pretty good cast. So like the cast itself elevates the movie. Um, I think like the story is good, but I think the cast really makes it good. Worth watching. Definitely. Um, I think it's like hour and a half to two hour range, something like that. But I, I enjoyed it. It was very good. I think in terms of a Christmas movie, I think that's going to be kind of one of those Christmas movies that a lot of people end up watching for years on end, especially because I feel like this is the first Christmas movie that has represented the LGBTQ community. So that was kind of cool. Um, so I give that one a seven out of 10. I'd watch it again if it came on. I thought it was enjoyable. Dan Levy's very funny. So that helps as well. That's great. I want to check out Happiest Season. I've been meaning to, so that's good. Got a ringing endorsement. I won't watch the other one, but yeah, it, it, don't watch the other one, it. even if it's even if you have nothing else on. Just find, <laughs> just rewatch Elf for the ninetieth time. All right, uh, Kyle's film review. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> Riley's fountain pen slash ink review. Uh, pretty quick one this week, so I want to give one. We're going to be doing a lot more Robert Oster talk in the throughout the season because uh, after we got in contact, he actually sent me a care package, which was supremely kind of him. Can't thank him enough. Um, lots of inks in it, so I, I, in lieu of like what you generally use is you use up the ink that's in your pen, then you refill from another ink. Right, simple enough. It takes quite a while to use all that ink up, so I purchased a glass pen from Rohr and Klinger, which is a German manufacturer. And the way that it works, it, I don't have it because I returned it, but the reason why is you'll dip it into the ink, you kind of get the excess off, and then you can just use like multiple inks in a row. You don't have to ink anything up. The line was a little too thick, and it would really put a ton of ink down where it would bleed right through the page, probably because I'm an idiot. I, I doubt it was the pen's fault, but um, I write really small, and so I can't do big text. Like I just feel uncomfortable doing it, so... Uh, shout out to Robert Oster, uh, glass dip pen. Maybe I'll try a different dip pen in the future, but, um, unfortunately was a swing and a miss on that one. So that's what I got for fountain pens this week. Shout out Robert Oster. Glad, glad we're going to be talking about you all year. That was a pretty, pretty cool, unique thing. Um, all right, let's close out the show with predictions, which are back. We're no longer doing fake predictions game six. like hopefully game, game six we get through and <laughs> or game five we get through oh god all right so we got one real game here it's december 12th at home against the dallas mavericks the first preseason game tips off at 7 p.m central kyle what is your prediction i think they get a win i feel like it's going to be Giannis gets off to a fast start I don't know. To I think Dallas is going to be more careful not to throw Luca and Porzingis out there, and I feel like Bud's going to be like, "All right, Giannis, get your one game out of the way, and we're going to shut you down the rest of the preseason." So I feel I think they're going to win this one. Uh, I feel like they'll probably lose, and that's just because we're going to have, like we said before, pretty. I would assume. <laughs> There's like eight L's in the group uh, Google Doc. So I don't think it's going to be that bad of a loss. But like Kyle was saying earlier, I think it's right that we'll probably do minimal minutes for the starters, a couple of it in the first quarter, and then it's going to be like subs from there on out, which is probably going to be similar for Dallas. But we're going to have a lot more dudes who literally only just started playing with each other like whatever, 48 hours ago. So uh, I think the gelling and the bench mob is going to give us the loss. 
Agreed with Riley. I think uh, Dallas's depth is going to win out here. I, I think it's going to be relying on them. And so I'm seeing a loss for the Bucks, which of course means it'll probably be a win. So with that, we are going to close out episode 75 of the Brew Who podcast. Really good to get back together and talk about the real Bucks offseason versus the faux offseason we did last time. Of course, we didn't touch on Giannis's Supermax extension really today because we haven't really heard anything about it. So uh, if anything does happen, we'll probably record a podcast then talking more about it. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to go to go to brewhoop.com. We're going to have some preseason stuff that we'll typically do uh, ranking the roster round tables. Uh, Mitchell's working on a couple other pieces. Go there for the Monday morning media roundup as per usual. Follow on Twitter at brewhoop. We're going to be doing game coverage. So that'll be getting back and rolling and subscribe to the podcast send it to your friends uh you could even listen to it on spotify if you want to get us in your rap for next year for a top podcast feel free uh but in the meantime thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you again soon